0: welcome to the joy of sunflowers podcast we release podcasts here in part and in full on the joy of sunflowers website the joy of sunflowers podcast is about sisterhood through infertility and pregnancy loss we cover a range of topics including fertility pregnancy after loss and so much more i speak with a range of people including wellness professionals medical experts and beautiful mamas The aim of this podcast is to bring you information and experiences that will validate and equip you for whatever season you find yourself in right now. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for joining me on The Joy of Sunflowers. Please introduce yourself a little bit more. Yes. Hello, Ella. Thank you
1: so much first for having me in your summit. I really feel very honored and happy uh, for the ones that don't know me. My name is Monica Vivas. I am an IVF fertility coach. I am also an IVF warrior and a fertility advocate. I am originally from Colombia, but I live in New York. And I am also a mother of two beautiful IVF girls. One is 17 and one is nine. I have a stepdaughter whom is 22 years old. And I am married 20 years ago with my husband, who is from Israel. That's a little bit of, you know, making my bio short and for people to know a little bit about who I am.
0: Lovely, yeah. Gosh, very worldly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Um. So let's dive right in and start from the beginning. So did you always know you wanted to be a mom, or was it something that you sort of moved towards?
1: I will say that it's something that I moved towards because, honestly, I... really didn't want to have children you know so when I met my husband I was actually 29 almost 30 years old and uh, I think that the fact that I met him and when I moved to the states and uh, I uh, met my stepdaughter in that time she was one year and four months and she used to come and visit you know during the week and then every other weekend I kind of connect with that motherhood feeling although before I married him I, I was not into children, not because I didn't like children, but because I thought the world was too crazy to have children. And look how it is now. It's even worse. <laughs> you know how it's like, I was thinking, but why do I need to have children? You know, if the world is so crazy. So I was in that, even though I was 29, I always had this very young spirit. I never was scared to, you know, to have that belief that in my culture, especially in Latin culture, if you are over 25 and you are not married, oh my God, you are already old. You will not find no one. You're going to stay like dressing uh, saints in the church, something like that. So I remember my aunts telling me, but you are 29. You're supposed to be married and have kids. And I'm like, I don't want that. I want to live life, being single, enjoy, travel, it's still party. That's my soul. Is very young. But then when my sister, my, my middle sister, she got pregnant when she was uh, 17, and then she had a baby about 18, and my nephew, you home today, is 26. He was the one that started to wake up that on me, but subconsciously, you know, like in the back of my head, I didn't, because I was thinking, for me, it's very important. That's my personal opinion, that a child have a full nuclear family, a mother figure, a father figure. And, and all around that, because each gender talking openly, mom and dad, give uh, a different perspective of parenthood and create balance. So, yes, beautiful, but I was single, so it was just in the back of my mind. So, when I met my husband in match.com at the age of uh, the, my end, uh, the end of the year of 2002, I was almost getting to my 30s. We, you know, fall in love like right away he was here in the states I was in Colombia and you know we chat and he went to visit me and uh, you know he told me I have a daughter he showed me the pictures and it was so beautiful but when I came here I kind of connect with that complete so my nephew kind of created Daniela my stepdaughter, kind of bloomed that feeling and every time she used to leave I felt that Emptiness. So I say, no, 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 no. I need to have my own child now. Motherhood is calling me. No matter how the world it is, you know how you get into that mindset. I want to be a mom. And Ella, I kind of took it for granted. Why? Because from my mom's side, I come from a very big family. My mom, uh, my grandmother, and my grandfather, my mom parents. They had 18 kids from the, the both of them, same mom, same dad, 18, nine girls, nine boys. We are 243 cousins. My grandfather died at 102 years old and he met his fifth generation, sixth generation, actually. Wow. He was a great, great grandfather. <laughs> so everybody in my mom family, they got pregnant with a blow of a kiss. So I am like, okay, so I just need to start to work on it and I'm going to get pregnant with the blow of a kiss. But it didn't happen to me. I was the only one from all the 243 cousins that had the fertility issue. So God put me there, a little star, which I am today grateful for. Which maybe I have the opportunity to say why, but it was a struggling, you know. So we were trying with my husband for about three months. I see I don't get pregnant, and I start even to think, oh my God, something is wrong with me. The guy has a daughter. My family is full of kids. They get pregnant in a matter of a month, and I'm not. So he was telling me, no, you know, it's only three months. Found my doctor, went to him. He told me the same. Most couples have struggled to get pregnant in the beginning because of stress, anxiety, work, this, that. So try for a year. We did that. Nothing happened. And eventually, to make the story short, we did all the tests. Both of us are good. You know, the basic panels of hormones and this. Everything came up okay. And then my doctor says, we need to move. On with more detailed text, uh, tests, you know, like a thyroid panel and then physical tests, going in to check my fallopian tubes, my uterus shape. Something is not good or is, is, is not, my body is telling me something. We found out through a stereosalpingogram that my both fallopian tubes were blocked due to endometriosis stage four. And I didn't even know that I had endometriosis. How I knew how my doctor diagnosed me? Because he asked me, talk to me about your periods. How were your periods from the moment you got your first period up to now? So my periods were always regular, never never not regular, but they were very heavy. They last up to eight, nine days. I bleed the heck out. You know, I sometimes I became anemic. I used to faint and lose consciousness from the pain. And there was times that either it was a, one month, the right leg, was totally not responding or the left leg. All an inflammation that I couldn't even walk. I mean, I couldn't walk. So but because my aunts and my mom had kind of similar symptoms. So you never think it's something. You say, oh, it's genetic. No. All that symptoms are endometriosis. So my endometriosis went so advanced and in Colombia I never because I didn't I was not interested in having kids, so I didn't pay attention on that. So the, the scar tissue of the heaviness of the period, the dry blood, blocked totally my tubes. We did here too. So my doctor says, I think the only way that you can get pregnant is IBF. He sent me to a reproductive endocrinologist, a wonderful one. And he was so kind and so conscious. He told me, let's try to do our last attempt to see if you can get pregnant naturally. We can do a laparoscopy to try to try to clean both fallopian tubes. Maybe one can be open, and then you can try to get pregnant. Because he himself, being an endocrinologist for reproductive, you know, medicine, he said in vitro is very stressful, financially is very consuming. So, but if this doesn't work, I'll help you. I have good prices. My clinic is small, but I can help you. We did that, and it didn't happen. So our only choice was in vitro. He did my first IBF. He was incredible. And he even told me that he never saw a woman so fertile producing such a good quality of eggs. And he even told me, I think that it's good that you are blocked because if not, you will be every nine months pregnant. (laughs) That was his words. And that gave me so much confidence on that. The thing will be work. And it worked. My first IBF worked. Is now my 17 year old daughter, Elia. But in that time, Mela, nobody told us, not even him, because his clinic was very small. He has a small team and he really was helping so many couples. The times that we used to wait with him was two, three hours. But all worth it. I I, I never so there was no someone that as today could tell us, listen, you can froze your eggs, or you can do your embryos, or you can do a frozen transfer and you know less invasive uh, you know treatments so we just were happy having ibf and we said okay so maybe in two three years we come back to him we do another ibf and if if the first again look human nature it is we take things for granted and i have learned that that's not the right thing to do and i said okay if the first ibf work it's gonna work again so we did that and two years and a half we came back to him we did our second cycle. In that time, he was changing some people from his team, and unfortunately, one of the nurses, when she called me, she used she got confused with another chart, with a chart of another patient, and they gave me the wrong amount of medicine. I got OHSS. My ovaries became balloony, pain to the heck. You have no idea. And they had to cancel the cycle. So it was, you know, clinical error. Uh, my husband was super upset. He called the doctor, screamed at him, and he said, you are completely right. He went into looking into that, and he said, we need to wait for Monica, you know, like to clean up her body between three to six months. You come back. I do another cycle, no charge. I personally take care of her with everything. We did exactly as he said. We did our third cycle with him. I got pregnant um we transferred in the time you know that was actually 15 or yeah 15 years ago i could transfer four three to four embryos today you can transfer only one all over most most in the places you know i got pregnant i was 37 in the time um but and the pregnancy was good we did amniocentesis because of my age you know they want to make sure the baby is okay it was a baby girl but then I will say that around a week 28, 29, that's what the doctors think, I start to develop um, some blood clotting issue, phospholipid something, and a blood clot in the umbilical cord at 39 weeks. Uh, you know, I had a stillbirth baby girl, Isabel. She died, and I had to go on the liver my baby, so it was devastating. So basically, my first cycle was success, but then the other cycles was nightmare. So this kind of you know, of course, it was devastating. I I didn't know even how to take it. it never happened to me, and uh, it's something that I don't wish to anyone because you know, losing a child has no meaning, no words, no definition. It's completely unbearable, and um, it was very hard. It affected a lot of my relationship with my husband. So I was so mentally uh, in denial and and. Uh, in uh, non-accepting the situation that I just basically put pressure on my husband to jump right away like a month and a half later into another IBF because of course I wanted to feel that emptiness and my doctor said I don't do it you need to grieve you need to mentally get better you need to go through the process and I, I screamed at him. I was very upset on him. And he told me, I don't do it, but I can give you another RE. I don't want to take that responsibility because I think you need to heal first. I went to the RE that he sent me, Dr. Mukherjee in um, RMA from Manhattan. Beautiful people, also amazing doctor. He also told me the same. But I basically put him and my husband against the wall. He's like I, I, guess the, I, I told him, my God, is like with, a, with an imaginary gun in the head. I want to do it. If not, I'm going to die. You know, it's something like that because as a, as a mother, my pain is, is is unbearable. He did it. We did the, the fourth cycle. I got pregnant, but as my RE and my husband and everybody says, I was not mentally well and at seven and a half weeks, I miscarried. So this was even the worst drainer. We almost got divorced with my husband and we got to a point that We went through the process of grieving, he in his way, me in my way. And when we were in this dark place of our marriage being so bad, um, we kind of stop and say, okay, what are we going to do? So either we part ways or either we see what we do. As long as there is love, you know, as as long as there is love, you can save anything. But when there is no feelings, you can't force something. We love each other very much. There's no doubt. We work on our relationship for about a year. And after a year, year and two months, we decide okay, we're going to do our last attempt to bring a sibling to Elia. Elia in that time was six and a half, almost seven. And whatever happens, if yes, yes, if no, we stop. We are grateful for what we have. We have a child. Hashem, you know, God gave us. Let's count our blessings. We did that closer to my house. Uh, with Doctor Brenner, whom he's amazing, we transferred three embryos. I got pregnant for, for you know I was pregnant from twins. Uh, in the beginning of the pregnancy, I lost one of the of the babies, of the, but one survived, and she is now my nine year old Maya. And actually, when she was born, Ella, I really felt that I healed completely from the loss of Isabel. I believe truly in spirit babies. I truly believe that our children choose us. For example, when a mom or when a woman has multiple recurring miscarriages, I believe 100% that that spirit baby is coming back, 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 back to show I want you to be my mom until that woman gets pregnant and have her baby. So I feel that Maya... It was the same soul of Isabel back to me in the right time, the right moment. Of course, she's unique. But God somehow, that's my feeling, gave back to me that soul and that healed me. Doesn't mean that scar is not there. There's times that I, of course, cry. You know, i, I it's, a, it's a human to feel that. But that's my story. And all this pain, all these hell of things that happened to me is what inspired me to do what I do today. I love what I do. I truly love it. And that's why I say my pain became my purpose. And And I am in love with what I do. And my main purpose is help women and couples, you know, all over the world to conceive, to try to conceive the most natural way possible, which is naturally. Um, but if the only choice is the same choice, I had to go as well, prepare them and be their emotional and, and, you know mental support because most clinics don't have that of course doctors work like this you know it's patient after patient after patient but the emotional and psychological and and you know um, compassionate support is really missing it's a missing piece and that is a big part on a successful outcome that's the way i think and that's my story
0: <laughs> yeah wow oh, that's just there's so much to, to your story <clears throat> gosh where to begin with questions (laughs)
1: absolutely I am an open book
0: (laughs) yeah um so with your your process of loss um and grieving how how was that how did it go and I, I know you said that there was a lot of time um between you and your husband where things weren't so good and and you had a hard time both of you so how what was your process
1: well um it was really very difficult you know um one of my aunts actually uh she had a stillbirth baby boy when I was probably I will say maybe nine or eight I remember that like yesterday so when Isabel uh, kind of she used to move a lot she was a very active baby so she stopped to move on October, 3rd, uh, 2nd, October 2nd. And I told my husband, I don't feel the baby moving too much. And he said, you know, but remember with Elia, my first one, there was a time, of course, that she did move. And we freaked out because it was our first pregnancy. We went to the hospital. They did the sonogram. The heartbeat is there. The baby's sleeping. So she, And she was the most chill baby. She's still a 17-year-old, the chillest person in the world. So he told me, you know, remember with Aaliyah, what happened? So I kind of let it go but in the back of my mind, Ella. I even came and told my mom, you know, I am scared that maybe I'm going to go through the same, like my aunt went and she said, don't don't say that, you know, like don't put things on that. Somehow my intuition was telling me, but I refused to listen from the fear of, you know, thinking it might be true. So once this happened, I'm not going to lie to you, uh, Ella. It's a very difficult thing to handle. I didn't want to therapy. Uh, but because I think that because I have the support of our synagogue, you know, we are Jewish and we belong to uh, Chabad Synagogue. And our rabbi and the community were incredible. We didn't have to pay one penny for the burial of my daughter. One thing, I don't know where she's buried because in our religion, when a baby born to be able to sit Shiva means to like a funeral in, in Christianity or other or really to have a funeral, the baby needs to be alive for 30 days, not 29, not 28, 30. So because it's something like it doesn't belong to me, belongs much more, to you know, to God, It's more of a kind of that spiritual path. So when that happened is a, a rabbi and a little committee of rabbis who take care of the baby and they go and bury it in a place that only they know. Of course, Jewish cemetery. I don't know. And I am very grateful. I don't know because I would be every day there. So God knows how I follow that kind of things. So my rabbi, the community, they took care of everything. There was a moment that we had to tell the rabbi, please tell the people not to send more food because he was an every day for about a month and a half people coming to the house supporting us. So I think that part was a big support for me. My mom is with me since my kid's born. So, you know, and... Um, well my husband and that, this is the part that with my husband things start to be a little weird because i learned that we grieve differently women we are very emotional men is very rational they are more mind and i discovered that they are more mind because they are weaker than us they are they they have no yeah yeah look they have been raised and this is in general i i will say all cultures that because they are the men, they need to be strong. Boys don't cry. Remember that? You know, boys don't And it's the most silly thing in the world because we are humans. We both have feminine and and, and male side, women, us, more feminine because that's how God created us. And then men a little bit more strong. But to have feelings and emotions is completely valid. So he was really, his grieving was, running away from the pain so he went to work more he was drinking uh he was coming home uh late if i will want to talk about it he was i don't want to talk about it this is you know scared so i felt that he really was not connecting with my pain i judged him like he was without feelings that he was like a rock like he didn't care that he was basically an ass <laughs> that don't feel and he was not able to communicate to tell me that it was not that, that he was feeling a lot of pain and the only way for him was to run away from the pain because he didn't want to confront it. So that put a strain between us. And another thing that I'm very open to say is, Ella, yes, I, I thought about taking my life because it's a pain that is unbearable. And um, it put us in such a selfish mode that I didn't care about my mom, my husband, my daughter, Elia, she she was uh, almost five. I was caring always about my emotional pain, my pain, how I can, but I'm grateful because I am very scared from physical pain, even from a little cut from a paper. (laughs) Like the most chicken. And I was actually looking in the internet, what is the the, the, the painfulness, the the non-painful way to die. And I the one that I found really—that was so—I know I laugh now. Like I was looking, and the only way I found it was not such a legal one. So then my mind goes too far. My mind works very fast, and then my mind is like, okay, so if I do this, and maybe I don't die, they're gonna put me in a crazy house with that church, the that tiny up. I'm gonna end up in a four by four room with the pain—you know, the emotional pain of losing my child wanting to die but not being, being able to do anything so is is worst and somehow that click on my mind and I say you know what I need to go through the process I need to grieve and I need to really wait for what the saying it is time heals everything and I have to be patient maybe the time is going to be for me three years 20 years But I cannot take my life because I'm going to end up in a crazy house. (laughs) You know, like, and slowly, slowly, you know, and then we talk with my husband. And don't get me wrong, Ella, there is marriage. It's not easy. I'm 20 years married with my husband. And, you know, he also has now a condition, a physical condition. And last year, we also had a big, big bump. Uh, but I guess that you know the love and all, all what we have been through is when you realize you know if we've been in hell and we're still here there is no way to give up and and that's how but for most people I will say moms that have recurrent miscarriages or have had stillbirths or have lost even a child on an advanced age I think that it's very important to have the support. In my case, it was my synagogue, my rabbi, the community. But people that don't have support, I definitely think that therapy is something that is very important because when we are in pain, it's very important to take it out, to talk, to even if it's for to someone that just listen and someone that is out there to be ob- objective. Because when we keep inside things that we feel, we contaminate us. We need to let them out and feel them. The same way that when we feel happy, if we feel sad, I am for that if you feel sad and you want to cry, you Mm. must allow yourself to feel because then it's releasing that and you have space to say, okay, now I am a little calm. Let me see what I can do and, you know, think a little clear.
0: Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think, um, I mean, I'm glad you're here, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) um and I like it I like the way you thought about it as well like uh, you know I don't want to end up in a crazy house and I think that sometimes I think that is actually what stops some people from doing that (laughs) um I I did go through something like that myself when I was a teenager like the actual um depression um and those sorts of thoughts and I can understand that when you're in that um the irrational rationalizations that come uh in the mind um but yes i'm very glad that you're here speaking with me and if anyone else is going through this right now and they're thinking and they've got these thoughts um at some point someone's going to tell you that they're glad you're here
1: oh my gosh yes
0: I really hope you enjoyed the first part of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit thejoyofsunflowers.com. Please note that all speakers, including experts and professionals, express information, views, and opinions that should not be used to diagnose, treat, Cure or prevent any medical conditions. If you have a medical issue, please consult a qualified professional. Speakers voice their own views, opinions, and conclusions, and they may not reflect the views, opinions, and conclusions of other speakers. Ella Rose, the Joy of Sunflowers, and its sponsors may not endorse all or any of the views, opinions, or conclusions expressed.